Welcome to the Philcraft Survival Podcast with your host, Mike Glover. Hey guys, welcome back to the Philcraft Survival Podcast. So no shit there I was. It was summer of 2002 and I was going through Special Forces Assessment Selection at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. I was near the end of Special Operations Selection and specifically I remember we were doing Team Week and I was with a whole bunch of great guys from the military and there was a Sergeant First Class who was with us from the 25th Infantry Division. A great dude, a humble warrior, 11 Bravo platoon sergeant with a lot of experience. I was in charge of this movement. They had put me in charge of this movement to really test my leadership and see how it would react under pressure. So there's no doubt that we were being evaluated the entire way through. As we conducted this movement with this heavy equipment, we had to take breaks. And every time we took a break, I put everybody off to the side of the road and I made them basically sit on their ass with their rucksack on and the contraption that we were working with was behind their necks. And I remember every time I sat these guys down, this pole on the back of this Sergeant First Class's neck would pop up out of the rucksack and pop him in the back of the head. It was basically like somebody was punching him in the back of the head. And I remember the first and second time it happened, he was pissed, he was angry, he was frustrated. But I remember about the fourth or fifth time when he went to sit down and he took that rucksack flop, that bar came up and popped in the back of the head and he whimpered, he cried and kind of whimpered. And I remember looking at his face and seeing the anguish in his face as he almost started to ball. And then he dug deep and snapped himself out of it. But I remember thinking, looking at him, that this event, this physical event, that was stressful, where you had to be a good subordinate, you had to be a good leader, you had to make things happen, you were tired, hungry, fatigued. It was breaking him down mentally. And I remember looking at him and thinking to myself, this is it. This is what this is doing. And it was a eye-opening experience. As we got up, you know, he, he, he dug deep and he continued to move. As he got up, it started to rain. It was almost like this was clockwork. It's almost like Fort Bragg at Camp McCall. They have like a, a rain machine. And the last, I would say, couple miles of this movement, it poured down rain. And so our rucks were heavier. We were drenched. The equipment we were handling was heavier, slippery. It was just an overall more difficult experience because of the rain. And we had this one kid that was with us. He was a young kid, like an E4, E3, that was in the regular army. And he was having a difficult time. Our last break, our last stop, he had taken a break and he had left his rubber dummy, his rubber M4 behind. In Special Forces Selection, they don't let you have real guns because you're so fatigued, you're so jacked up that you probably leave it behind, get lost. That's a whole bunch of liability issues. So we had these rubber dummies that represented the same weight. And in this event, it wasn't a tactical movement, 
but you still had to maintain the accountability of your rifle. So we get to this point in which we are taking a break and this kid doesn't have his rifle. He doesn't have his battle rifle on him and he realizes it and he starts to panic. Well, by that time, the instructor had already identified that he hadn't had his rifle and had picked it up. So he looks to me and he says, Mike, I don't have my rifle. And I said, what do you mean you don't have your rifle? I was like, bro, go back and get it. And I stopped the whole element and we started moving back. And the instructor stopped everybody. Pouring down rain, the instructor's inside of our patrol and he's pointing his finger and he's yelling and screaming at this kid. And this kid is breaking down. He's like in tears. And he grabs his rifle and he says, do you want your rifle? And the kid says, yes, Sergeant, I want my rifle. And he said, in combat, when you leave your rifle behind, people die. And that's unacceptable. And he took his rifle and he chucked it. And he tells him to go get it. And the guy goes and gets it. And then he smokes the shit out of us for another 30 minutes. You know, eventually this whole process ends. And we go back to our barracks. We're smoked. And we wait on the word to see who got selected. Now, what is the entire point of that story in relation to what's going on now? Well, the point is, you know, it doesn't take a lot of physical exertion and breakdown to mentally start wearing on you. I tell people in survival situations, especially when it comes to hard skills, this could be seen on shows like Alone, Naked and Afraid, the show, The Selection, where people go in and they could have the best physical capabilities in the world. They could be CrossFit studs. They could be professional athletes. I've seen it. I've been to special forces selections with the most elite athletes in the world. That only takes you so far. And then when you're broken down, you're on the same playing field as everybody else. So the secrets in which they actually assess people based on psychological profiles, based on you know aptitude, based on a whole bunch of measures of performance should remain that. They should remain classified and a close secret. The intent of this episode is to teach you methods in which to better prepare you to face the full spectrum of the assessment process. So today, you know, we're going to talk about what is selection? How can you be successful? I'll give you a few tips. How do you prepare physically, mentally, and then we'll answer a couple questions that I got from social media about specific selections. What is selection? What is assessment and selection? What does that even mean? Well, selection is a way in which the military really filters out all the garbage and gets rid of the candidates that won't best fit the profile for the job. Being in special operations requires intelligence, adaptability, a whole bunch of values and attributes that you can't be taught in a short period of time. Everybody who goes into special forces training after selection pretty much has the same profile. And so you're given a clean slate and then you're taught all these special operations skills and mission sets and everybody operates with the same mindset. So in selection, they want to assess the full gambit of everything involved in the actual mission that they conduct. For example, Navy SEALs, I mean, they go to BUDS. They go to basic underwater demolition training, and they go through a selection process where they hit the water, they hit the surf, and they have to be proficient in the water. 
I've been asked a lot of times, like, hey, if it wasn't for the Army, where would you be? Uh, well, growing up, I had an uncle who was in the Navy, who retired from the Navy, and my dad was in the Army. After seeing Charlie Sheen crash through you know, the ceiling of a warehouse and shooting terrorists in the face with an MP5, I wanted to be a Navy SEAL. I mean, Navy SEALs are badass. And, you know, people ask me my opinion of Navy SEALs all the time, and I think they're awesome, amazing warriors. The Navy doesn't have special operations guys like the Army has. It doesn't saturate the entire fleet. So they're actually special. They have good budgets, good funding, good mission sets, good training. They select the right people for the job. Are they arrogant? Fuck yeah, they're arrogant. But you know what? That's a part of special operations. You're going to see some different levels of arrogance. And when I operated with the SEALs in 2006 in Iraq, they were very arrogant, but they were capable. I mean, they did the job. They were super fit. And, you know, to each their own. If you, if you want to be a Navy SEAL, trap for Navy SEALs. If you want to be Army, trap for Army. But there's nothing wrong with the Navy and their special operations. If you look at me, I'm 225 pounds, six foot one. I am not a good swimmer. I am an anchor. I sink to the bottom and I don't swim well. So I knew that going into the Navy and trying out for the SEALs, if I failed, there wasn't a place that I could potentially go. Today, now in the Navy, you have some pretty cool jobs. I mean, the SWIC, the boat guys, that's a badass job, man. Rolling around in a boat that could kill bad guys from the shoreline with miniguns, 240s, and to have that level of proficiency in an infill, exfill platform is amazing. But when I went and tried out for special operations, they didn't have that. So I knew that if I failed, I was going to be mopping the deck of some ship and I wasn't guaranteed any job. And in special forces in the Army, that's different, right? Because in the Army, you have combat arms, MOSs, or jobs and specialties. So these specialties from the infantry, from Cav Scouts, from, you know, combat medic, there's always a good fallback plan. You know, I tell guys and, and gals now, if you want to try out for special forces, you need to have some level of maturity. You have to have some life experience. You have to be intelligent. And if you want to gain experience, the best place to do that is in Ranger Regiment because they're at the tip of the spear. They're in special operations. They're a light infantry force capable of conducting full spectrum special operations. And you'll get the experience you need to set you up for success and assessment and selection and to be in the teams and special forces. Every service has a different assessment and selection process. But remember, it just doesn't start and stop with SFAS or with BUDS or with MARSOC or force recon selections processes. That's just the beginning. When I tried out for special forces, they talk about this whole repeat volunteer thing. And I used to think it was weird, right? Because, you know, I don't want to brag about I'm an airborne volunteer. Well, the reality is there's actually something to that. I mean, if you try out for special operations and you say, and you raise your hand, you say, I want to go to selection. You got to go to airborne school. It's three weeks. It sucks because it's boring until you jump out of planes but there's an attrition rate. There's an assessment. Then you have to go to SFAS, Special Forces Assessment Selection. There's an attrition rate. Then you got to go to the qualification course. There's attrition rate in every phase. Then you got to go to your team. And then if you want to specialize in anything, sniper, CQB, demolitions, 
repeatedly going through medical training at Special Operations Command. All these courses and all these recalls have constant assessments and selections. I mean, it was exhausting. I've, I've been to almost every single special operations school, whether it's SSC, JTAC school, free fall school, sniper school, CQB school. I've been to a lot of schools and I remember being exhausted by the end of my career because I was tired of being selected and assessed, but it made me a better operator, made me a better special forces Green Beret in the end because it made me give a shit about the content that I was learning and the standard that I was upholding. So these selection processes and the different services are intended to weed out the weak and keep the strong and keep the strong trained. I like to analyze things and analyzing special operations selections. I come to the conclusion that, you know, the Navy SEALs use the water to get rid of their weak. The Army uses land navigation and that ruck that's, you know, that sucks the life out of you to weed out the weak. These physical things are designed to break you down mentally to see if you have the fortitude to keep trying, to never give up, to never quit. When I went to selection, you could have prepared for a year prior to selection, and it was going to still break your ass in half, no matter what your level of preparation. Yes, it was going to probably stretch the timeline in which you tap into your mental resourcefulness, your mental fortitude, but eventually you're going to get there. And if you had the guts and you had the will and you had the fortitude, then you would make it because you wouldn't quit and you would keep moving forward. In special forces selection, it's a no-brainer that you're going to have a ruck on your back and you're going to have to do land navigation. So I concentrate my efforts on the technical aspects of selection. So that's what I want to get across to you guys in this podcast. Let's not just focus on the physical. Let's not just focus on hitting CrossFit, hitting Gorilla Athlete, hitting all these elite training programs. That's a no-brainer. You're going to have to be fit in special operations. That's a given. That that doesn't start and stop with selection. That's your entire life in special operations. Let's concentrate instead on the hard skills required to make you successful. What can you do to be successful in special forces selection? I've broken it down really into three, three things that specifically you need to do. The first thing is never quit. That's easier said than done. I remember in special forces selection, where guys, we would go to bed and you know get a couple hours of rack and you'd wake up and the bunks would be empty across the aisle from you. You'd be so exhausted. You don't even give a shit what's going on around you. And you'd wake up and people were gone. And you started realizing that people were dropping off. Well, if you're an A-type personality and you're competitive and you're driven and motivated, that kind of stuff you feed off of. It's almost psychotic to say, but I feed off the weak. If I see somebody suffering and it's breaking them down and we're in a selection, we're in a competition, I look at that and I get stronger because I'm like, I'm going to win. This person is being broken down and I'm not going to let this break me down. And it makes me stronger. So when you're building this fortitude through training, you have to put yourself in situations to test that resolve to see if you could push yourself to the edge and see if you could not quit. At the end of the day, it's a mindfuck game. You have to say to yourself, I would rather die than quit. 
And it's true. If I was in combat with my guys and we were fighting for our lives, we would never quit. I know they would die for me. I would die for them. And it was something that was given in our community. So when you say the words, I quit, when you give up and you tap out, you're not only creating a bad habit and quitting on yourself after you busted your ass through all the hard work, but you're also building a bad habit in life. Look, once you quit once, it gets easier and easier as you do it. I wouldn't know because I've never fucking quit anything in my life. Even when I was tested in the toughest situations, I never gave up because I knew if I quit, I knew if I gave up, I would never forgive myself. So in quitting, there's another part to this because I've seen people who don't quit. Instead of quitting, they feel sorry for themselves. And so they'll turn a blister into a limp and then a limp into they think they have a fracture. And yeah, maybe they're hurt. Maybe they're injured. And you know, I'm in no place to question that specifically for people in certain situations, but I've seen it. It's called malingering. You know, malingering is when you're basically hurt or injured and you just can't suck it up. And instead of making the decision mentally to drive on, you start feeling sorry for yourself and you get a little piece of sand in your clit and it turns into a pearl. And the next thing you know, you're quitting. There is a difference between actually being injured and being smart enough to recognize that so you don't further injure yourself and getting medically discharged because of it and trying again versus you're malingering, you're not really hurt, you feel sorry for yourself, and then you drag this shit out to the extent in which somebody says you're dropped and you make yourself feel better. That to me is almost worse than actually quitting. At least the quitters have the balls to come forward and say, I'm done, I tap out. If you start feeling sorry for yourself, check yourself and realize what's happening to you with lack of carbs, with fatigue, with lack of sleep, and stick to it. When I was in the infantry, I remember guys coming back from selection and telling war stories about guys. And I remember this guy was telling me that he knew a guy who had a fractured foot and walked on a broken foot the entire time. And that little inject of information in me made me realize that there was going to be no instance in which I quit because I would rather walk on a broken foot and be in a cast for a month afterwards being a selected candidate than quitting on myself because of pain. And in that sense, whenever I felt sorry for myself, whenever I had a blister and was like, oh, that hurts, oh, that hurts every time I took a step, I went, you know what? That dude walked on a broken ankle. At least my ankle's not broken. And I had a, a greater expectation that I wasn't suffering as worse as somebody else who suffered. Tip number two, don't just focus on the physical fitness aspects of selection. Understand the hard skills that are involved and focus on specifically learning the technical aspects of that selection process. For example, land navigation. If you know you're going to go to ranger school, special forces selection, getting your expert infantry badge, you need to learn the technical skills required so that when you are broken down and you are weak, you still have the technical abilities to do the task at hand. Remember, the assessment process is going to break you down physically and mentally. But then you still have to perform a technical task. Well, if you can't do that because 
you went there half-assing the technical aspect of it, but smoking the physical aspect of it, then something's going to drop off. And that's going to be you failing to complete the technical task. Land navigation is relatively simple, but there are methods based on the terrain, based on the weather, based on the time of day. There's a whole bunch of variables that are involved where you need to do it to get experience. So guys always ask me, hey, what can I do? How can I physically prepare? And the first thing I tell them, stop physically preparing. Get your ass at land navigation field manual and start studying land navigation. Guys want to go to the gym and they want to smoke shit because it feels good. It releases endorphins. They see results, but they don't want to pick up a field manual and read the technical aspects of land navigation. What's your pace count? How do I do resection? How do I plot a grid? How do I plot an azimuth? How do I walk on an azimuth? How do I do terrain association? These are all technical things that you're going to have to learn. I've seen it firsthand in a, a couple of selection processes where I've seen guys who are physical studs and you give them a compass and you put a ruck on their back and put them in the woods at night and they flail because they don't do it. They haven't concentrated their efforts on it. So study the technical aspects of the selection and don't worry so much about the physical aspects. All right, so tip three, study nutrition for endurance athletes. It was early on in my career. I was only a couple years in the army and I decided I wanted to go to ranger school. Well, going to ranger school, anybody who's been to ranger school understands that to go to ranger school, you have to go to pre-ranger. And pre-ranger is designed to prep you for ranger school, but also see who's got what it takes to actually get through the school itself. So it's like an assessment for the actual school. Well, when I went to the pre-ranger, I thought I was a stud. You know, I was doing around two hour, 12 mile ruck times. For me, you know, running wasn't my best suit, but you put a ruck on me, I can move forever with that ruck at a high rate of speed. Well, I, I decided on this ruck that, you know, I was competing for a slot for ranger school. I was going against about 15 candidates from my unit. So I decided I wanted to be the best. So I went out hauling ass. And when you start ruck running, the best way to do it is to do it in an interval. Because when you're actually walking as opposed to running, you could recover, which gives you enough energy to reset and do it again. So over the course of 12 or so miles, you're running a certain distance, a certain time. For me, I was running from telephone pole to telephone pole, and then I would walk from telephone pole to telephone pole and then do it again and again and again. Well, the ruck was defined as being a 12 miler. So I knew the best times were going to get the slots. So I was about six miles into this thing and I was ahead. I couldn't even see the second guy behind me. And I know I was kicking ass. I knew I was doing really well. Well, all of a sudden, as I was moving, I started to get this weird darkness around the outside of my eyesight. And I had never felt this before. You know, I felt really fatigued, like I was crashing. And it literally felt like I was crashing, like everything was getting worse by the second. I was always taught in the military from basic training in the infantry to where I was at this point in my career, that if you drank water, it would make everything better. You know, when in doubt, when fatigued, you just open your canteen and you drink water. So I remember I started chugging water and it was an odd feeling because I remember taking out my one quart and pouring it down my throat. And it's like, it went straight through me. Like I drank it and I could feel it almost run straight through me. And then I was pissing right after I drank the water and the walls started closing in. 
And it almost felt like I was going to pass out. So I had to stop running and I started to walk. Well, what I didn't realize was happening was I was basically depleted of all the glycogen or sugar inside of my system and I was bonking out. I was crashing. Endurance athletes experience this when they don't have enough sugar in their bloodstream and it's almost impossible to recover without some form of deliberate recovery. So the lesson learned is I went into this not even thinking about nutrition. I thought you know, eating an MRE after the fact, drinking water through the duration of the event, you know, not eating anything prior to starting was the way to go. When the reality is that's the exact opposite of what you need to do to be successful. Nutrition itself is a separate episode. I'm actually going to do an episode on nutrition for endurance athletes. But I ask you as the third tip to study this because it's really important that you understand the nutrition that is required to get you through long duration events. Remember, this is not a sprint. This is not a test of your 40. This is not a 100 meter or a 100 yard sprint. This is a test over the long haul and it is a constant psychological and physical process. So you need to understand every aspect of it, especially when it comes to physical endurance. Don't concentrate so much on getting the gym, working back and buys, chest and tries. Focus more on long rucks, short rucks, interval training, and the nutrition required to get you through that. All right, so moving on, preparing physically. What do I need to do to prepare physically? So top three things to prepare physically are one, focus on the physical attributes and the selection that you're going to attend. For example, if you're in ranger school, you know you're going to be walking with a ruck. So you need to focus on ruck running, ruck walking. You don't need to be focused on hitting the gym building excess muscle for something that you're not going to use. You know, guys like to go to the gym and they work on bench press. Well, your chest, you're not going to be utilizing your chest muscles. And the more muscles that you have built up in your chest, which is a very large muscle group, are going to impede your ability to efficiently flush lactic acid or provide oxygen to your muscles, your other muscles that you need, like your leg muscles. So concentrate your efforts on the exact specifications of that assessment selection. If you're going to Navy SEAL training and you're going to BUDS, you might want to be in the pool and concentrate your efforts on the pool. A lot of people tend not to focus physically on the things that really matter when it comes to the end state. I get asked all the time, hey, what should I do to prepare for basic training? Well, if you want to prepare for basic training, generally be fit before going to basic training, but don't do anything outside of the ordinary because When you go to basic training, you're going to be doing calisthenics and a lot of running. And if you go there and you're a bodybuilder, you're just going to be in pain because you're going to lose all the muscle. You're going to be slow on your runs and you're not going to be efficient because you're not preparing for the actual event of basic training and selection. Each thing that you do in the military has a different set of physical requirements that are different. The way in which I prepared for special forces assessment selection isn't the same physical fitness level that I'm going to have on my teams. Even in reconnaissance teams that I was in most of my time, we didn't carry a ruck a lot of the time. So did I concentrate my efforts on the ruck? I didn't. I did long range movements with heavy packs, but we didn't do interval training. We didn't concentrate our efforts on the ruck. We did instead CrossFit, interval training, Jim Jones, all these things that make you overall fit and able to tackle all the things that an operator or somebody in special operations may face. 
Tip two, focus on all the subtasks that are required to keep you in the game and keep you healthy in the selection process. Foot care. A lot of people don't know how to take care of their feet, especially when it comes to long-range endurance events. You could learn a lot from endurance athletes, from marathoners, from triathletes who do these things all the time. Yeah, they're wearing shoes, but now you're wearing boots, but the same fundamentals apply. These subtasks like foot care, like packing a ruck, all these small things are very important in keeping you healthy during the long haul of a selection process. I'm going to selfishly plug our DVD, but we have a DVD series and volume one talks about mental conditioning, talks about foot care, talks about rucking. For example, how do you pack a ruck? Do you know how to pack a ruck? Well, if you've never packed a ruck and you're preparing for selection and you're not in the infantry, for example, or you haven't had a ruck because you're maybe an MOS or job that doesn't really do that a lot, then you might want to get with grunts, Marine Corps grunts, Army grunts, somebody who packs a backpack for a living or a field pack for a living. And then you'll build some efficiency in your overall game when it comes to going to selection. Tip three, focus your attention on recovery. That includes nutrition recovery. That includes foot recovery. That includes yoga or stretching recovery. All these things that you do in selection, you're going to have to try to figure out how to recover. For example, guys who I went to selection with, after we do a long ruck or a long event, we'd come back to our bunks and we'd have some downtime. Well, that's a good time to take off your boots, take off your socks, let your feet dry and get them elevated to, to get the blood out of them to let them recover. That's a good time to drink water, take a carbohydrate or a protein in your body and let your body recover and get ready for the next event. That's a good time to stretch your ligaments, stretch your muscles and to rehab for the next training cycle. That's also a good time to apply ice to your knees, to your joints, to take the inflammation down. Look, there's a whole bunch of subtasks involved that are little cheats. I'll try to talk about these in the next podcast when it comes to physical preparation and nutrition, but you need to learn these things on your own, right? When you do these events and you do the micro events leading up to the actual selection, you're going to learn a lot about yourself. You're going to learn a, a lot about nutrition, recovery. Everybody likes to make fun of me because I do yoga. They're like, oh, you do yoga, dude? Yoga's for chicks. No, it's not for chicks. In fact, it's really good for you. And if you understand what it actually does for your body and you learn a little procedure that you could apply in selection, while you're doing yoga, while everybody else is sitting on their ass and they're not doing any push recovery, you're going to be the one who goes into the next event a little bit more ahead. How do you prepare mentally? Well, number one, I already talked about it and I mentioned it before, but I'll, I'll harp on it. You want to replicate what you're going to do potentially in selection in your workouts. Your workout is a opportunity for you to test and evaluate your boots, your socks, yourself, your physical capabilities, your mental capabilities. And most importantly, it gives you the opportunity to see if you have the fortitude to not quit. When times are getting hard, I remember training up for selection, training up for ranger school, and I would be suffering. I started to build this resiliency in myself because I would say to myself, oh, this is difficult. You just need to back off. And then I would tell myself, no, you're training. Try harder. Don't quit. Keep pushing. And so when I wanted to quit, I'd never quit. Like, let's say I was doing a run and I wanted to stop running. 
Well, I would just run a little bit slower to let myself recover. And that cloud, that fog of, hey, quit, man, quit, man, quit, man, it just kind of disappeared. And then I started to build that plaque and that resistance to those kind of weak thoughts in my head. So you have to do it again and again and again and practice, practice, practice to test your mental fortitude. Number two, compete, compete, compete. It doesn't matter what you're competing in. It could be you know, international pistol competition. It could be sports. Whatever it is, make sure you compete again and again and again. Because you know, we live in a society now where competition is frowned upon, where everybody's given a trophy for participation. Well, that's not how the real world works. That's not how war works. That's not how special operations operates. If you want to be a winner, if you want to be the best, you have to win. So when you're competing again and again, you're building this mindset that, hey, you, you're going to win. Now, there's a balance between being egotistical and being humble and doing what it takes to win. You have to find the balance. But competing will allow you to go through this process and it will stress you out to try to win. Ultimately, building this resiliency and managing this stress. Look, when you're under pressure and you're under stress, you start to do things that are counterproductive to winning. Well, the more you practice this, the more you realize what's important and what's the priority in winning. So compete, compete, compete. The third tip is manage expectations. Remember, you're going to fail. Failure is a process of learning. It's a process of growing and developing. If you don't fail, you can never grow. Remember, it's this ebbs and flows, these peaks and valleys. To appreciate the peak, you're going to be in darkness in a valley. And you're going to be like, this shit sucks, dude. Where am I? And then if you get to the top, you're going to appreciate looking down and looking back. Oh, man, this, is, this was totally worth the ride. So expect to fail. Don't think that you're going to go into these processes, these selections, these assessments, and you're always going to be successful. The difference between a winner and a loser is a winner after failing resets, gets better, self-improves, and tries again and again and again. And that might be a different career field. I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. But you are the tailor to your own destiny. If you want to be successful in selection, prepare. Tailor your own path. But don't expect the path to be clear and free of obstacles. You're going to run into obstacles along the way. That could be family. That could be friends. That could be yourself. That could be the events. That could be bad luck. I've seen guys go through all the way through special operations selection and then something happened, like they blow out an ACL, they hurt their knee, they hurt their back, and they have to get medically discharged from the army. Well, yeah, that sucks. But the difference between a winner and a loser, like I said, is the winner is going to pick himself up. The loser is going to sit there, flail, feel sorry for themselves, and give up. So if you want to test your fortitude, ultimately, you have to be prepared to fail. All right, guys. So after covering preparing physically, preparing mentally, and how you could be successful, you know, the, all these things lead into other podcasts talking about the specifics of, of these processes. And I'm excited about that. You know, I, I love to have a podcast talking about just nutrition, talking about just mental fortitude. And we'll have those as time continues. Hey, you know, I talked about this assessment course. This assessment course that I'm running February 10th through the 12th is designed to fulfill your training needs and give you a path to making yourself better and more prepared for special operations selection. You know, it's going to prepare you 
for any type of selection overall. Uh, it's a little pointed because I'm biased, obviously, being a Green Beret. But you know, it's designed to basically set you up for success and allow you to not make the same mistakes that me and my peers have made. Is it cheating? I don't know. You know, when I went through selection, we called it Intel or G2, where you got some tips and you heard about some things. It's like, hey, did you hear that? You know, if you go into this event, you got to do this, you got to do X, Y, Z. And looking back on all that stuff, it never really helped me. So, I, you know, giving you this structure of the actual things that will make you better prepared physically and mentally, it, to me, is not cheating because I want I want you guys to be prepared. And if I was, a, you know, the sergeant major who my buddy was running, you know, special forces selection in the, in recent past, he would say the same thing that you know to impart that knowledge on you to make you a better, more well-rounded special operations guy isn't cheating. It's just setting you up for success instead of failure. So again, check that course out. It's on philcraftsurvival.com store. It's in the 2017 course catalog. It's February 10th to the 12th. And it's, you know, it's three days, check-in Friday evening, week Saturday, and then uh, into Sunday, all lodging, all child is taken care of. And you're going to learn a lot during this course. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, and I'm not going to give too much intel about the actual course, but you'll go there and you'll walk away from it a better candidate. And if you're not planning on going into special operations, a better person. All right, guys. So finally, I'm going to answer a question that I got from somebody on Facebook. And the question involves preparation for a selection process that somebody has to go through. It's actually a competition. And it's cool because it's a, a foreign competition in another country. So this guy, his name's Thor, and he's doing a Norwegian competition uh, for his unit. And he asks, I'm in the Norwegian Home Guard, almost like your National Guard. At the end of February, me and a friend will be entering a recce competition in Denmark. We'd love a podcast to give us and others some advice on training and during long-range reconnaissance competitions. The competition is 60 to 80 kilometers over two days with tests on survival, shooting, first aid. There's also an op for hunting all the competitors. So you got bad guys that are going against you. Can you give advice to training and mindset as well as what to think about for bringing along in regards to energy source food for two days of that movement? This should, of course, be as light as possible. We normally carry, obtain water, and use freeze-dried meals. So, you know, I'll answer this question. Some of it I've already answered in the actual podcast itself addressing this stuff. And I knew that going into this. But I also want to talk about what you should do for this long-range endurance type event and preparation. Well, number one, the first thing is, you know, you need fuel to sustain yourself over the long haul, Thor. You need to be able to replenish yourself with, with energy, with carbohydrates, and with protein. So what's the best way to do that in the lightest way possible? What I do is when I'm doing long-range movements, I like to use pure carbohydrates or pure sugar. And these usually come in the form of gels that are used for marathon and long-range endurance athletes. These things are really good because they give you a specific amount of energy that you know you could utilize and plan for. My rule of thumb is during a long-range movement, I like to do a gel carbohydrate every 30 minutes and a solid of some kind every hour on the hour. For example, if I'm doing a movement and out the gate, you know, they'll call that zero minutes, 30 minutes into that movement, I'm going to take a gel shot and I'm going to drink some water. Or an hour into that movement, I'm going to take something solid like a half of a power bar or a piece of a cliff bar. So if you think about it, the greatest thing about this aspect is you're constantly through timing keeping your body refueled because your glycogen is the 
first thing that you type into in your liver source in your bloodstream. So you need to retain that and keep that carved up. You know, when people talk about carving up prior to an event, they do like spaghetti or something like that, a, a carbohydrate, and they eat it prior to the event starting. Well, if you get seven to eight hours of sleep, the glycogen in, and fuel inside your liver is depleted. That's why you wake up feeling groggy and feeling like shit. So you have to constantly maintain this. So the morning of, you need to take a lot of carbohydrates in prior to movement. My rule of thumb is prior to movement, if I had the opportunity, I was chewing on a carbohydrate. Like I literally would put it in my mouth prior to movement. And so I had fuel on board right off the bat. If you think about this, when you're Thor, when you're thinking about planning, remember you're eating along the way. So you're actually dropping weight. I like the fact that you're saying that you're procuring water along the way, but I'd be very careful of how you do that. Because remember, if you run out of water, and you start getting dehydrated, it's culminative, right? It, meaning it builds up and leads up to failure and there's no take backs. If you're feeling thirsty, you've probably already made mistakes and not replenishing yourself quick enough. So what I would do is at a minimum, I would carry enough water for the first day, which is about seven quarts for you guys each. Now that's heavy, but remember you're eating and you're drinking along the way. So you're dropping and curbing this weight. It also has a psychological advantage because your light is literally getting lighter through the duration of this event. In the next episode, we're going to specifically talk about nutrition and how you can be better prepared in survival and endurance and selection processes. And it's going to be a great episode. So, hey guys, I'm out of time. That's all the time I have for now. Hopefully, I didn't take too much of your day and you got something out of this episode. These are the most passionate episodes because I have a lot of experience in these things, but I'm passionate about it because I live it on a daily basis. So don't forget on Instagram, we're at soft survivor, SOF survivor. We're also at Philcraft survival. You can get the latest and greatest survival gear, the DVD selection, the courses all on our website at www.philcraftsurvival.com. And if you have any questions, please feel free to hit us up at media at Philcraft survival. That's M E D I A at Philcraft survival. Also, please subscribe and please leave feedback. I love you guys' feedback and that's what keeps us going. In the feedback, if you want to hear something specific about different episodes, please let me know and spread the word. Hey guys, I appreciate all you guys' support. We're up at the top bracket of iTunes and SoundCloud. If it wasn't for you guys, I wouldn't be able to do this. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Till next time, stay alert, stay alive. <laughs>